0: Well, welcome, everybody, to all of our campuses, meeting throughout the Twin Cities. Uh, you way to go. You made it to church on a very snowy day, risking your life and your kid's life. Uh, glad you made it here at all of our campuses. True Minnesotans. I love that. I also want to welcome those of you who are joining us online around the country and world today. Uh, just always glad to have you with us. I want to extend a special welcome. just learned about this recently. To you guys out at the Stillwater Prison in Minnesota here, uh, Minimum Security, who join every every week and join us every week, so I just want to give a special welcome to you, and can we just encourage those guys with a round of applause? Yep, thanks, guys. Our prayer is that God will give you hope and healing and restoration, and that you may be free, at least in your spirit one day, and in, in body as well, so we're with you. I also want to extend a special welcome to a good friend of mine, Nelio Paiva, is up here from Brazil. He's brought 12 leaders with him just to get some training from our church, and Nelio and the group are here all week long experiencing Minnesota. But I want to show you you a number. The number is this, 1,190 baptisms last weekend. I hope we never get used to that. That's incredible. Uh, honestly, this, this is, uh, you know, we, we see these numbers quite frequently in our church, but I hope we never get used to those numbers. Uh, those of you who were baptized last weekend, I've been praying for you all week long that God would do a new work in your life. You know, you put a stake in the ground, you went public with your faith, that God would bless you and honor you, this would be a new start in every one of your lives. I'm so proud of those of you who took that bold step. I've also been praying for your protection. Because whenever you step out and make a statement like this in your faith, the enemy is right there, likes to create doubt and conflict in your life. So just so proud of you. We keep praying for you, and thank God for every one of you. Uh, We had a series called What Matters Most, and we planned this series back in Maine. We knew it'd be my last three weekends. Uh, By the way, I don't speak next weekend. Jason does. I've seen his message, a phenomenal message. You'll want to be here, and then I close out the last two weeks in February. Uh, but the team said, Bob, if you could tell our church the two or three things that mattered most to you, some final words, you know, what would they be? And so I began praying about that, thinking about that, and a few things I would say really to anybody who asked me about this, some things that have allowed a very average guy like me to end up with a life that's been just so blessed beyond words, that have made my marriage, career, and life what it is, and really that I think would apply to anybody, because my life really didn't start out that way, really, with very average ability, average looks at best, and below average grades, all through high school, through college even, Uh, son of a pastor with very little money, one of Five kids in our family we were always scraping by, working part-time jobs all the way through college, making my way through college, then almost quitting seminary because I got a D in Greek class and, and bombed a preaching class. I thought, there's no way. I'm the lowest of the low. There's no way I can do this kind of thing, be a pastor. Finally ended up after seminary in a tiny church, little church in fallen Wisconsin where there were more deer frankly, than people, which was fine by me. Uh, But my wife reminded me how difficult those five years in that little town were, because frankly, I was in a daze. I don't remember a lot of it. She said, Bob, we lived in a tiny little house that was owned by the church, orange shag carpet, stains, water stains on the ceiling. Our daughter, Megan, she said, was born in February. I kind of remember that. It was, a, it was a brutal winter, she said, and Megan was fussy, a colicky baby, who got up at 2 a.m. every morning. Laura said to me, I never got up once, which I don't recall. <laughs> but she got up to change and nurse the baby, and she would never go back on. My wife said, I walked Megan around that tiny little house from 2 a.m. to 4 a.m., feeling trapped, furious at you, And so desperate that I even stood outside our bedroom door with Megan screaming, hoping that you would wake up and help out. But you never did. I said, I don't remember that. She said, of course you don't. You were sleeping and oblivious. She said, I remember looking at Megan's crib and just wanting to crawl in and lay down. If you're a mom or a stay-at-home dad, you, you get that. Then after five years in that little church, I wasn't sure I wanted to be a pastor the rest of my life. And so we left my $12,000 a year salary for five years. That was our salary. And went back to school, to Penn State University with no job, no money. Thought I would get a degree in communication. I thought I might want to teach or whatever. But the three years at Penn State were so hard teaching undergrad students, going to school, living in an apartment. I almost quit several times. For a full year, I sat in a basement of a Penn State library doing research for my dissertation, and I hated it. I was 34 years old, no job. I'd look up at the windows in this basement of this library. It had metal bars across it, and I actually had this thought, I'm in a prison, and I have no idea where my life is going. Amazingly I graduated came to First Baptist Church in White Bear Lake here in Minnesota in a U-Haul that was back in 1991 it was a church of 300 people at the time. And in the first year all three of my staff quit. And that might have been a signal that maybe I've had some issues I don't know. But people in that church began to wonder, is Bob our guy? And I can tell you I barely survived. That first year. Now, I could go on and on, but I give you that brief history because until about age 37 or 38, no one would have said I was anything special. In- instead, they would see my wife and they'd say, How do you get her? She's pretty, she's intelligent, talented. How did that happen? Because look at him. He's not much to look at. One of the things I would say as I thought about this talk today is, you know, sometimes. You try so hard to find your way in life and it kind of ends up finding you. And what I would say at this point is you got to keep your head down, do the right things and God will honor that. But along the way of trying to find the right school, job, career, spouse, gang, there's some principles that have undergirded my entire life that made all of this possible So no matter if you're single, married, in between jobs, school, or even incarcerated, I think there's five non-negotiables that I would say give anyone the best shot at a great life. By the way, every one of you has the potential for a great life, but it's what each person does with that potential that matters the most. The choices you make, the values you have, the patterns you establish, I'm telling you, really really matter. Now, Deuteronomy 5.33 is just a foundational verse for my life. It says, Bob, and every one of us, walk in all the ways, walk in all the ways the Lord has commanded, and whenever you see this little phrase, so that, this is the reason you should do this. Walk in all the ways God has commanded, so that you may live and prosper and prolong your days and the question is what are the ways what are some of the ways that the lord has commanded so that we can live prosper and prolong our lives love this verse in Ephesians another foundational verse in my life you every one of you doesn't matter no, no matter who you are where you came from no matter what you've done in life you are god's workmanship. It means that God had you in mind before you were born. God loves you, has chosen you. Another translation says, you are God's masterpiece. Do you believe that about yourself? Do you believe that about your spouse if you're married, or your kids? I know they don't look like it. They don't seem like it most of the time, but you are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do what? To do Great works. The potential to do great works or great things is in every person, but there's five principles that you can't ignore. And if you've been around a while, some of this will sound familiar because these principles really don't change. They're foundational to a great life. And the first one I would tell you is you got to establish your values. And I, you know, I was blessed with great parents who raised me well. And I know that some of you struck out in that category. I mean, some of you have parents like, you got to be kidding me that you even made it. But you can make it. But I was fortunate. I had great parents. So by the time I was 16, I kind of knew what my top five values were. Hadn't written them down, just kind of, kind of knew about this. But later on in life, I began writing these things down. This is what I wanted out of my life. I wanted to have a solid faith in Jesus Christ. That's the foundation. He would be my guide, my truth, my source of wisdom and strength. I wanted to have a great marriage. I wanted to have a great career. I wanted to be physically fit, and I wanted to be financially sound. And So if I wanted to have a solid faith, I knew I had to do certain things if that was to happen. I knew I had to read my Bible. I knew I had to go to church every weekend, never miss, or watch online. I knew I had to pray on a consistent basis because to have faith, you've got to feed your faith. You know, if I wanted to be financially sound, well, then I knew I had to work and save and avoid debt as much as I could. Almost every decision I've ever made was based on How will this decision affect my faith, my marriage someday, my career, my physical being, and my financial condition? You know, take my second top value of having a great marriage. I knew that growing up, I didn't want to just get married someday. Anybody can get married. Have a pulse, you can get married. I wanted to have the best marriage possible. And so that value drove my decision to stay sexually pure all through my teens and 20s because, gang, it's really hard to build a great marriage when you've slept around with a bunch of people. You know, sex, the Bible says, isn't just physical. It is so deeply spiritual that God says when two people come together sexually in marriage, a man and a woman, they become actually one in body and in soul, there's a union of their soul. There's a spiritual union that when that's severed, there's a woundedness that's hard to describe. That's why people often say divorce feels like a death. It's, it's so, so difficult. So wanting to have a great marriage drove my decision to avoid pornography, to read books on marriage because the value drives your decision there's a very there's a verse a very interesting verse in Hebrews 12 and it says this make sure that nobody is immoral or godless like Esau who traded his birthright for a single meal now for a single meal Esau sold his inheritance to his brother, one of the dumbest decisions in the history of the world. In that culture, the firstborn child got all the inheritance when the parents died. So if there were like five kids in the family, you know, kind of tough. And it wasn't fair, but that's, that's life. Life isn't fair sometimes. But So the firstborn got all the inheritance, and Esau and Jacob were brothers. Esau went out hunting one day, was so hungry when he got back, so in a rash moment of stupidity, He traded his birthright to his brother Jacob for Jacob's lunch. He just, oh, I'm so starving. I'll do anything. Give me your lunch. In order to satisfy an immediate craving, he traded his whole financial future for a Big Mac. It's incredible that he did that. And then in verse 17, it says that when he lost his inheritance, he just wept. He wept bitterly. And of course, the question is, how could anybody do that? How could anybody be so so short-sighted that for a single meal, you give up everything? Your father's estate, all the money. All people do this every day. You know, they overspend their income for a new whatever and damage their financial future. They have an affair to satisfy a temporary sexual craving and damage their marital future. They party like crazy in college, become addicted, emotionally scarred, and you know do damage to their relational and career future. And so instead of making decisions based on established values, so many people in our world today, they live impulsively and handicap their entire future. So non-negotiable number one to carving out a great life, determine your values and then make all your decisions. Based on your values. Now, I realize when I get to this part in my message, some of you are saying, Bob, I've failed at this. I'm just a mess. You ought to see. My, I've never even thought about my values. I've just lived impulsively. It's not too late. God's grace and God's forgiveness and mercy is available to every single person here. And you can think about your. Doesn't matter how old you are, young, you can start thinking about your values and start living, getting on a better path, today. But that's the first one. That's the longest one, so take a breath. Second one is this. Find your calling. Find your calling. Now, your calling, you know, it could be your purpose in life, uh, what God has wired you to do that, that God wants you to get about. By the way, your calling or your purpose is often different than your job. It can be your job, but often they're different. Two questions that'll help you know What's your calling in life? What is your purpose? The first question you should ask yourself is, what do you love? What just lights you up? What do you love doing? And the second question is, what are you good at? Because you might love something, but you're not good at it, so that probably isn't your calling. So what do you love? What are you good at? And for me, when I think of that question, it's, it's just immediate. I love truth. I love biblical truth always have from when I was young. You know, Jesus said, when you know the truth, the truth will what? It'll set you free. When you know the truth and live by the truth, which is written in God's word, the Bible, when you know this truth and live by this truth, it'll set you free from all kinds of sin and regret and those kinds of things. The time I was young, I've always loved biblical truth and tried to base my life on it. But then God also gave me a teaching gift. I don't necessarily love to teach, but God gave me a love for truth and then gave me this gift. And so those two things be, became my calling in life to teach biblical truth. It just so happens that my job is the same as my calling. So what do you love? And what are you good at? By the way, when you know you're calling, you know what to say no to. Uh, A few years ago, I got a call from a Christian university, and they asked me if I would consider being their president. And I almost laughed on the phone. I said, I would hate that. Just hate it. Because of all the politically correct stuff. I'm so close. Stuff. Don't say it but stuff. I would hate it. I would end up firing a bunch of people, and then you'd fire me. He said, well, that's what we need. I said, I'm not your guy. So what do you love? What are you good at? Some of you are good at running a business and making money, and you love it. I mean, don't quit your job and try to teach at our church. You would hate it, and so would we. (laughs) Stay with your job. Maybe instead of instead of you know quitting your job maybe part of your calling is to make as much money as you can and then give generously some of you are sitting there saying bob i'm in a job i don't love gang that's true for most of us most people are in jobs they don't love but you know we need to work so maybe your calling is in another way like volunteering in an area that really you know that you love my wife, for example, has worked four different jobs in her life, didn't love all of them. She was great at all of them, but her calling, she discovered, and she loves this, was to support me. Yeah, I know. I don't get it, but it was to really support me, help me, pray for me, you know, be there when I need her uh, to help me get through some stuff, and then to raise our kids. She loves that. Now, that's why she's behind the scenes. That's why she doesn't speak. Her role is to be a support. And that's why God put her on this planet. I couldn't do, could never have done what I've been able to do without my wife. So, what's your calling? And once you decide what your calling is, don't get pulled off it. You know, one of the, one of the just secrets, just as extra, one of the main reasons I've been able to do what I've been able to do is because of all the things I don't do. You know, I don't travel much. I don't go to conferences, sit on boards, or do a bunch of counseling. People get mad at me all the time for saying no to what they want me to do. But every six days, I knew I had to face 25,000 people or more who were hoping to hear something that would help them in their marriage or help them with their kids or resolve a conflict or restore their faith. And I would fail at that if I did all this other stuff. So what's your calling? And what do you need to say no to so you can succeed? It's what's most important. Third thing, decide what you will never, <coughs> ever do. Uh, recently, I walked into the holiday gas station where I get gas usually, and I had a 10 cent off coupon, so I paid cash. And I always do that if I can. And I looked over in the corner of the gas station station, And standing at a high table was a man and a woman, and they had a stack of scratchers. I mean, just a stack. And one after another, scratch, flip into the garbage. And I'm not judging, but my immediate thought would be, I would never, ever do that. Not in a million years. Why? Because that is a losing endeavor to try to get rich quick. Proverbs says it this way. Those who gather money little by little, Make it grow little by little, day by day, dollar by dollar. The way to financial success is to work, save, and live below your income, and then you do that for 20, 30, 40 years. That's the key to financial success. So what's in your never ever category? I decided 15 years ago that I would never ever again cram my schedule so full of commitments that it would threaten my career, health, And marriage. I learned the hard way that if I'm constantly worn out, I will miss the life that God desires me to live. If you're married here today, have you decided that you will never ever cheat or have an affair? Again, I made that decision in my teens that when I got married someday, I would never ever cheat on my spouse because I knew that that would damage my ability to live out my five values. So because that was in the never ever category, that also meant I would never ever have sex before marriage, view pornography, or visit strip clubs, because all of that is a setup for marital failure. I knew that if I ever failed in this area, it would bring permanent damage to my wife, my family, it would destroy my reputation, ruin my career, and badly damage the church that I love. I mean, the collateral damage that an affair would cause would be so severe that I decided a long time ago I would never, ever go down that road. Now, again, some of you have. And what I would say to you is God's grace is available. We all make mistakes. And you know better than anybody the pain and regret associated with that. And what I would say to you is just put a stake in the ground today. And never, ever go down that road again. Okay. Some of you need to decide right now to never, ever drink again. To never, ever view pornography again. Or to never, ever allow your emotions to build for somebody who is not your spouse. Because if you do, you will miss the great life that God wants you to have. If you've already failed in some of these areas, it's not too late. Again, confess that to God, receive His forgiveness, get on a new path today because it's never too late to get on a better path. Fourth thing, be boringly consistent. Now, boringly is not even a word, but I love this word. Be boringly consistent with everything your faith, your work, your family life, you know, what you eat, where you go. I bopped into Don Grapham's office this past week, and I do that several times a week. Don's a very good friend of mine. He's been on staff 15 years, one of our top leaders on staff. I just thank God every day for Don's leadership. But we were talking about this message, and he said, Bob, every successful person I know has a morning routine that's automatic. A healthy morning routine. Don's morning routine, he gets up at 5.30, which is unbelievable, works out, reads his Bible, prays, and then drives to work without the radio on so he can get his heart and mind set to meet the day. And I agree with that. Don and I have a mutual friend, Mark Byerly. Mark Byerly, he tends this church. And one of Mark's phrases is this. He says this about himself. He says, I have the spiritual gift of showing up. You know, Mark doesn't have the gift of teaching or whatever. I just show up, he says. And it's so true. Mark is as is, is predictable, I can count on Mark, as the day is long. He's the kind of guy I love to hire. Every successful person I know has a healthy morning routine, gang, that is boringly consistent. I get up at 6.30 every day, eat a breakfast of berries, nuts, and yogurt every day. I spend a half hour reading God's word and praying every single day. I also drive to work without the radio on so that my heart and mind is set to meet the day. Jesus said it this way seek first the kingdom of God. You know, check in with God every single day, first thing in the morning. Seek first the kingdom of God. God, I need you. Lead me today, fill me with your spirit. Radio's off, I'm I'm ready to listen. God speak to me, remind me of your love, seek first the kingdom, and all the other things in life will fall into their rightful place. I start every day with God game because I am not smart enough or strong enough to face this life without his help. Okay. Final thing deal with dysfunction. (laughs) And we all have it. I have it. My kids have it. Their spouses have it. My grandkids especially have it. We all have dysfunction. I want to show you uh, some, uh, I don't know what you call this, uh, feedback. (laughs) 230 pages of feedback. Fourteen years ago, I needed counseling. And this is the result of those sessions. 230 pages from a counselor. Fourteen years ago, our church board saw some cracks in my behavior. Verbal misconduct, excuse me, anger. You know, pace of life that kind of ran people over. Our church was doing this. But I was doing this, and finally our church board said, Bob, you either get help or you're done. Up until that point, I'd never had any sort of professional help or counseling. <clears throat> and so this guy, Fred, came along and he interviewed all my family members, all my staff, anybody who was a friend. He interviewed everyone, and he asked two questions What's good about Bob? And what's bad about Bob? And they kind of unloaded 230 pages. My mom said the things that were good about me. And so that's, (laughs) that's in here. Then for two full days, Fred and his assistant sat with me in a room. And they read things back to me, what people had said. Bob is unapproachable. He speaks before he thinks. He runs over relationships. But then I heard what my 15-year-old son said. He said, I wonder why my dad is so angry. All the time. And when I heard Fred read those words back to me, it crushed me. Fred and his assistant sat silent and let me feel the agony of those words, and I was so ashamed. And my head dropped into my hands, and I just I just cried. I would not be here today if I hadn't had the opportunity to hear these words. I doubt our church would be the church that it is today if someone didn't love me enough to help me deal with my sin. Henry Cloud, one of my favorite authors, psychologist, Christian guy. He says, You just don't see successful people in life who are angry or toxic or addicted or dishonest. If you're dishonest, you can't be trusted. Don't be dis- just tell the truth or self absorbed. So do you, do you know what your dysfunction is that tends to block progress in your life and hurts those around you? And are you courageous enough to ask somebody to help you see it? I got an email recently from a young man. I'm so proud of him. Uh, he was courageous enough to establish his values. He was on a bad path and find his calling, deal with his dysfunction. And he wrote to me recently, he said, Bob, before I met my wife, I did nothing but drink beer, go fishing, and wish for a better life. He's from Wisconsin, so that makes sense. (laughs) He said, I lost, I was a lost 20-something going nowhere. He said, I met my father only twice. Once when I was drunk and wanted to fight him in a bar, I have prayed many times to be able to forgive him, but it was hard to move past the rejection that I felt as a little boy. So I spent my high school days partying, playing guitar in a heavy metal band, letting my grades slip. I worked a few different jobs, but I ended up as a short order cook at my uncle's restaurant and I never moved on. He said, in my late 20s, I met my amazing wife and still can't figure out why she agreed to marry me. I was slinging burgers during the day and cleaning two small churches in the evenings, and I just despised all of it. But he said, one night while cleaning toilets, I checked out the Eagle Brooks podcast. I didn't even know he had them. (laughs) And he turned into a series called Mentality. I listened to your plea, Bob, to not waste your 20s. And I was overcome with sadness because I felt that message was written just for me. He said, one night while lying in bed awake, I told my wife, I think I want to go to school to become an engineer. She burst into laughter and said, do you have any idea how hard that would be? She then paused and said, but if that's what you want, you need to start now. The next day, I enrolled at Century College, a community college here in White Bear, Minnesota. My reading and writing skills were okay, but not my math. So, I took two summer school classes, math and English, and it was brutal. But I studied hard and finished my first two courses with A's. From there, I went to school year round, studied during the day and worked at night, finished at Century College, and enrolled at the University of Wisconsin Stout, where I got my degree get this in mechanical engineering with a GPA of 3.74. A guy from Wisconsin. almost done incredibly I landed an internship for a medical device company eventually they offered me a full time job as a medical engineer where I've worked now for the past three years I can't believe how blessed I am and none of it would have happened without my wonderful wife God's guidance and your words to get going and not waste your life. Here's Brian and his wonderful wife Crystal, their daughter Caroline and here's Brian's diploma that he wanted me to see and I want all of you to see. Gang, here's what I believe. The potential to live a great life is available to every person here you can do this you might think you're 55 and over the hill well I can tell you you're not I'm 62 and I'm ready to go into the next chapter it's never too late to get on a better path but it won't happen if you just drift It won't happen by luck, by lottery, or wishing on a falling star. It'll only happen if you determine your values and then make all your decisions based on those values. It'll only happen if you find your calling, you discover what you love and what you're good at, and don't get pulled off of that. It'll only happen if you decide right here today, in broad daylight, in church, From now on, what you will never, ever do. You got to be boringly consistent. Never waver is one of my phrases I say to people. Never waver. Don't waver from your faith. Don't waver from your relationships. Never waver. Stay true. And then finally, deal with your dysfunction. If anyone asks me what matters most... What's made my marriage, career, and family what it is and led to any success I've ever had? It's those five things. For you and you and you and you and you and every one of you and those of you watching online, you are God's workmanship. You are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus, by Christ Jesus, had you in mind. He chose you to be the one to get the chance to live on planet Earth. You are God's masterpiece created to do great works. And I believe you will. So one final thing as you look at this list. Give me the list. There we go. You know, maybe you've never thought of these things. And so what I would challenge you to do is just pick one. And whichever one stands out for you and go after that this year so that you will live and prosper and prolong your days and have a great life I love you I care about your life but even more important God loves you and he cares even more and so God I thank you for your love for us your love for me your forgiveness your patience your kindness to me and I need it every day Thank you for the amazing privilege of being able to teach and stand on this stage, which is such an honor. I'm humbled. Thank you for this amazing church and these people, God, who are following you and wanting to know you. They're here for a reason. God, I just pray that you'll bless them this day and this week. Help them with their issues, help them with their struggles. If they have kids, God, help parents. It's so hard to raise kids in this world. So God, protect parents and protect their kids, I pray. We love you and need you every single day. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. it been a great day, everybody. Thanks for coming out. Yep.